Dichter Hadina Pabuni, the Bocasto Mescla Brion Druth, Ostias Genev, Sauve Berryman. Hello and welcome everyone to the Mescla Brion Druth podcasts, hosted by me, Sauve Berryman. Mescla Brion Druth is a multi platform project using sculpture making and conversation to explore contemporary Cornish cultural identity. Through workshops, podcasts, a symposium and an exhibition, the project invites people to share their experiences of identity and Cornwall and their views on Cornish culture and its relationship to land, language, heritage, tourism, the Cornish diaspora and much, much more. These podcasts record conversations with guests whose research or lived experience touches on the project themes. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed are the speaker's own. All conversations are carried out with a spirit of generosity and openness, creating space for the discussions to twist and turn. And I'm very grateful to all who have taken part. For this eighth podcast, I invited Dr Joni Willett to talk about socio-economic situations and lifestyle culture in Cornwall. And Joni invited Natasha Carthew to join her in this conversation. Natasha Carthew is a working class writer from Cornwall. Her new book, Undercurrent, a Cornish memoir of poverty, nature and resilience, is a powerful exploration of rural poverty and a story of hope, beauty and fierce resilience. Undercurrent publishes with Coronet Hodder and Stoughton in April 2023. Natasha is well known for writing on socio-economic issues and has written extensively on the subject of how authentic working-class voices are represented in literature. She is founder and artistic director of the Working Class Writers Festival and the Nature Writing Prize for Working Class Writers in association with Octopus Hashet. Joni is a senior lecturer in politics with the University of Exeter and co-director of the Institute of Cornish Studies. Joni's research about social and economic development in Cornwall is a deeply personal topic for her beginning with an awareness that many of her contemporaries felt that there was little future in Cornwall for their children. Joni begins our conversation. Govenicam burrs hui the omloenhei goes low as orto. I hope you enjoy listening. Hi, um, first of all, I really want to say that it's be, that, um, thank you so much, Natasha, for agreeing to this, because I've been following your work for a little while and I really, really love it. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to your next book. Um, so, yeah, so I just wanted to start out, really, with asking you um, about what Cornwall means to you as a place and why it matters if it does. Cornwall matters to me as a place, um, as a Cornish person, first and foremost. I'm born and raised here. Uh, I live here still. Um, and really, as a place, it's 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 in my heart. It's in the it's in my bones. It's the salt in my blood. Uh, Cornwall is just is what makes me. It's because where I grew up. It's because of my parents. It's it's everything really. So it's it's for me. It's it's really the foundation of me as well, and the foundation of me as a writer, and how far I've come, I suppose, in my career. It's it's really interesting, isn't it? The way the um the places that we that we grew up in and the kind of people that we we're around, the kind of things that the way that we um create our own sense of meaning and stuff like that. It's really interesting how important that then becomes in how we then end up going um and, and approaching the world as well. Um, but you said that you you know you're still you're still living in Cornwall. Um, and I'm really very much aware about how that lifestyle corn was very middle class um and um and relies really heavily on having like a, a, a good solid income and all of that kind of stuff and i'm just wondering about how how you've managed to manage to stay here how you've managed to make it you know keep to keep it going 
um, and to, to still be here. Well, despite, yeah. yeah, despite everything. I mean, so many people have had to move away, whether it's for work or um, because they can't afford to live here. For me, I'm very lucky because my partner has a proper job. Um, she works in education, so she earns the lion's share. I mean, as a writer, you, we don't earn a lot anyway, even though no matter what, how big the, the next advance I get as a writer, when it comes back to you work it out over the course of a couple of years, um, between hardback, paperback, all the payments are split up, obviously. So you end up with not a lot, and most writers are minimum wage, and I'm a successful writer. So for me, she has allowed me to live here in Cornwall um, in that respect. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to. And I, and I still can't live anywhere near the village where I grew up. I live inland in southeast Cornwall. The village where I grew up houses, the average price is 700000 Um, Yeah, so... You know, and, and that for me is heartbreaking because when I go and visit and I walk on the beach and I just see all these houses. I mean, to be fair, I kind of wouldn't want to live there now. It's a village called Down Derry and all the houses are so crammed together and they have, you know, their balconies are looking over each other. And it's just it's just a mess of buildings, basically. Um, so I can't I couldn't I can't live in the village where I grew up, where my family grew up, where my um, grandfather, great grandfather, they were builders. They built the first the affordable homes in the village. Um, so for me, I'm in Cornwall, but I'm not perhaps by the sea where I was, you know, born and raised. Um, and yeah, if I didn't have a partner who was getting a wage every month, then I probably wouldn't be able to live here. Or I'd be living on a caravan site where lots of us do, you know. We are being pushed to, not to the perimeters, because that's the coast, you know, we're being brought into the centre and then a lot of us are having to move away. And then you can't get back. So, you know, it's, it's a kind of a fight. It's a fight for a lot of us to stay here and to be proud of being Cornish still and without people thinking, oh, yeah, but, you know, you're not real. Because sometimes people might think we're not, you know, we're kind of mythological, I think, sometimes, us Cornish in Cornwall, because there's less and less of us. We, you know, we move away and we're very proud and we... We celebrate St. Piran's Day and we carry our flag. and But still, you know, to be Cornish in Cornwall is getting rarer and rarer, I think. Do you know, so one of the things that I've been noticing an awful lot over the past couple of years, especially, but it would have been longer. I just wasn't really thinking about it at the time. But most of the groups of people that I'm around, I, I, I live in St. Dennis, so I live in the China Clay area. Um, um, and I love it. When I, I grew up in I grew up in North Cornwall. Um, uh, um, near Weybridge and um, uh, and I knew of the clay area was somewhere you didn't want to go to on the, on on during the daytime, let alone on the dark night. But um, but actually, I've, I've been here for been here since two thousand, which is really quite shocking. Um, and I love it; it's great. Um, unless I'm around the village, which is still really quite um, very Cornish and, and very local. But in most other environments that I'm in in Cornwall, um. I'm either the only or one of maybe two people who were raised in Cornwall. So my my family moved here in the in the fifties. Um, so uh, yeah, but um, but you know, I, I grew up here and my dad grew up here. Um, but I, I'm I'm an enormous minority just having been raised here rather than having um, you know, rather than choosing to move here later on as an adult. I find that. Quite, yeah. And do, do you find that tourism is still avoids the centre as well? Like tourists will go through, say, Austell area, Clay Country, as fast as they can on the way down. Um, yeah, I find that quite strange because Cornwall is so beautiful wherever you are um, for different reasons. And yeah, I find that incredible because they don't get to see the real people and the real culture when they rock up in St Ives of Padstow. They're then with each other. And half of them have all, you know, and I love the world of publishing. I work in the world of publishing because of my festival. But still, I know they all go to the same places and they all bump into each other. You know, it's, which is just, it's, it's crazy. Because why would you want to have a holiday somewhere where you're all English, you're all from London, you're all white predominantly? You know, it's, 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 it's kind of sad. And it's a shame they're not going to other, other areas like um, St. Austell area, Clay Country. <laughs> Please don't get everybody. Especially the village Carthew. I don't know if anyone knows Carthew, but that's um, I know Carthew. Yeah, so that's where Wheel Martin is. So that's where my family 
a thousand years ago or something crazy would have come from, I suppose. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned, I mean, there was loads of things there that I was just like nodding my head vigorously to, but um, one of the things you mentioned around people believing that you're Cornish or not. And um, I wonder if you notice that if you're in different spaces. Uh, I wondered if, um, yeah, if you could pick up on that at all, this kind of perhaps fetishization of what Cornish is. One of the things that I've noticed about myself is that over the past couple of years, and I'm noticing that I'm not really, I'm not really using my accent very much right now. Um, but if I'm around people who aren't Cornish, I bloody well do. Um, <laughs> and it's um, using dialect become it's become really political for me. Um, and at one point, um, when I first started teaching down um, in Penryn, so um, I'm a senior lecturer in politics. Um, for the University of Exeter um, at the campus in Penryn. When I first started teaching there, I always kind of tried to hide hide it and I felt a little bit embarrassed actually about, about being Cornish. And I felt very strongly that I was imagined, actually it wasn't just that I felt it, I actually got this, this was reinforced as well, that people thought that, I don't know, I wasn't quite good enough. Or um, I do, I, I use Cornwall a lot as a case study in my research, which isn't just about Cornwall, it's actually about rural areas more generally. Um, uh, but, um, but people then sort of pigeonhole me as being like, oh, okay, she just does work on Cornwall, so therefore it's not so good. Um, so I was finding that um, uh, I'd like, I definitely try to talk much more proper than, um, than I might in other environments. Now I'm like, stop that. <laughs> this is me, and actually, I'm going to put on my accent specifically just for you all. I think yeah, we definitely put our accents on. Like I find throughout the summer, whenever you go anywhere, there might be Emmets. You always say all right as they pass, all right, and that you know when they're like, oh, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? And you just start nah, you know, gone. Um, I do that all, and I really put it on my partner's like, oh, you really, you know, it's almost like bullying, like on the cliff path, and you just say, all right, and then they say, all right, back, then that's it, you know. It's almost like, yeah, you can pass, go on. Especially up here in southeast Cornwall, because we're close to the bridge. You know, I'm always really protective of that bridge and who comes across. And, you know, when the end of January comes and all the number plates, and I'm always just obsessed with where the number plates are coming from, it's mad. We've We've just got it in us to be kind of protective but I think we are wanting to just protect where we are and, and and where we're from I know talking about accents a lot of work that I do as part of the working class writers festival is talk to people from you know all across the country as you were saying about different rural um, communities and it's so interesting in publishing how people try and just even as writers they try to downplay their accent in order because they think they're more likely to get a book deal or they're more likely to get an agent or an editor when they go to festivals and they get to talk to people from the industry and I just think that's just so sad because whether it's it's a subconscious thing that people are actually prejudiced against people with accents or not you know maybe they have something maybe people do take posher accents maybe they hear a posher accent and they're like yeah okay you 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 know you are one of us do you know what I mean? Um, so that's I really interesting. There's um, generally like a romanticising or stereotyping in people's minds of all sorts, you know, all sorts of different people with all different kinds of accents. And, and you can see these patterns through like TV, you know, like an accent from the northeast of England might be considered good for certain things or... Um, and uh, yeah, I wonder sometimes about though the the keys that gate give access to like through the doors of I don't know prosperity or whatever are um, more non-verbal than just an accent. That there's a whole host of ways of being that give access, and I wonder if you either of you could talk a little bit about 
to um, like intangible culture? Like, are there aspects of, of Cornish culture that is intangible but is a way that that is common in Cornwall or is important to our cultural identity? I mean, Natasha, you touched upon saying hello to people on the street and in the on the path. I don't know. I, th I think for me, um, uh, Cornishness being part of this place um, is so deeply embedded in, I don't know, just like my understanding. So I almost don't even really understand what some of that intangible stuff is. It's only really, I guess, um, uh, a couple of a couple of months ago, I was in an environment with some people from um, other parts of Europe. And and I didn't think that I was being particularly Cornish at all. I really didn't. And then some this this guy comes up to me and goes, "You are so Cornish." Um, I I was taught English by a Cornish person, and I was like, "How am I being Cornish right now? I've got no idea." And now I was. <laughs> yeah, I think people that people think that we're we're quite suspicious and you know wary of strangers and outsiders and stuff. And like, yeah, we are, you know, we're kind of an island community in many ways, you know, with the two seas and the river. We are quite insular at times, but but that's that's fun. I like being like that. I like being a bit secretive because then, you know, people think they know you. They think that they, they you're getting on and stuff. But, you know, we always keep a little bit back. But then when we do give that extra, then that person knows that they are they are trusted. And, you know, it's I think it's more special when we kind of let people in as as Cornish folk whereas other people might be more kind of frivolous and be all pally pally and you know we're not like that and I like that I think that we are different we are a Celtic nation um, my partner's Irish we are very similar in many ways um, it's the same when we go over to, to Brittany you know we we just have that which is a little bit different from the well it's a lot different from the English but I think yeah I think it's it's I think we're very proud and we will continue to be proud. But I just hope that our pride isn't just a quick tick box of, of the things, you know, the things that we're quickly proud of. I think, you know, it goes blood deep, it goes bone deep. And I think well, our pride has to come from things that we're doing now and things that we'll be doing in the future, as well as just looking back at the past and then just saying, well, wasn't, weren't the pirates great or whatever, you know? Wasn't that fun how they used to get people onto the rocks with the lightning fires or whatever? You know, our, we need to move forward as opposed to just being this picture that people have of us as Cornish because then we are losing our culture because we're just like stuck in one place and we're just looking back. We need to be looking forwards. I've been told off many times about writing about... Um, sad things bad things you know basically that I ha that went, I've gone on about homelessness about poverty um in my books because people want Cornwall to be that picture of a of a cottage with roses and the sea in the background you know it's the story of she worked in London and she came down to Cornwall and she was sad because she'd lost her boyfriend and then look a fisherman and you know it's just I mean how many times can you write that shit basically and that is in all the front of all the bookshops all the time down here every summer and I've people have said how dare you write about Cornwall in the way that you do and I'm like well this is Cornwall this is the real Cornwall not that um, and on the converse of that those stories of, of middle class escape whether it's for a holiday or for um or or to relocate actually that's hugely alienating for those of us that are actually from here because yeah. it doesn't bear yeah. any kind of relationship to anything that that I imagine is normal and, and this is kind of like a bit of an intangible thing as well but I've noticed when I have found um um media from people from Cornwall it's tangible it's it's intangibly different it's not just the subject matter it's not just it's it's the way it's kind of put together and I can't really put my finger on quite what it is but it is a way of kind of like speaking that says yeah this is recognizable um, and that other stuff, you know, we can we can we can talk middle class, um, uh, middle class migrant and or visitor and all of that kind of stuff because that's a language that we've had that we've learned, you know, 
growing up around here because you're encountering it all of the time. But seeing other people that are talking us is really rather nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you, you, you said also, Janie, about research with other rural communities around the country. So do you find that that is very similar in places like Cumbria or Scotland or wherever? I'm, uh, I haven't actually done that much within the UK um, okay. myself, but um, uh, I did a bit of work a couple of years ago. Actually, I'm going back there again next year um, in Appalachia um, in the US. And that was absolutely fascinating because there was so many, so many things, there's so many points of similarity about the way that people, people in urban areas, stereotype rural people, um, and, um, and the way that rural people then end up responding to that. Um, so, and I've got a, um, a very good academic friend that works in, um, it's from Norland, from Umea in Sweden, and she's found very similar kinds of things that um, people in urban areas don't really understand what the rural is for unless it's for their own amenity value. You know, unless it's for nice holidays and leisure time, they really don't understand the point of the rural. Um, which then that they don't mean it means that they don't understand the point of rural lives. Um, and so don't value rural lives. And also imagine, you know, part of this kind of like rural story that you see across Europe and across across America or the US is that um is that people in rural areas become characterized as being a little bit backward, a little bit chew storing, uh, yeah, straw chewing. Um, uh, deeply, you know, every you know, all rural people that are just are characterized as being suspicious of strangers and not very inviting and not very welcoming. Um, and yet it was crazy because like, Appalachia was the genuinely the friendliest place I have ever been to. It was actually quite overwhelming. Um, but I was talking to people who were saying about how when they went to, you know, um, uh, when they went to college outside of outside of the Appalachians or a lot further north or whatever, and they had, you know, they didn't think they had their hillbilly accent, and yet apparently they totally did. And they, but they were called things like bumpkin and stuff like that. They were they were really treated quite badly because of the way people um, uh, people imagine them. And I, and I think that's a regularity that that you see across rural rural areas throughout throughout the Western world. And it makes me really cross. And it, sorry, I'm on a slight rant. One of the things that also makes me really cross is when people move to Cornwall and, and, you know, and encounter, you know, encounter us and the way that, you know, also have this kind of like culture shock thing because they're not used to being in the rural area that much, you know, that much of an extended period of time. And then take that culture shock you know, rather than it being, oh my goodness, I didn't do my research quite so well, it becomes, oh my God, you people are just nuts. You know, you you, you couldn't organise your way out of a paper bag or whatever. And I've heard this ever since I was growing up. It winds me up like crazy. Mm. And, and when they all moved down here during COVID, um, and then they were complaining because there wasn't a coster on the corner of their village or hamlet, you know, that was that is absolutely the lack of research. They just think the country, and also they don't think of us out of season either. Um, and I write a lot about that as well in my books. The out of season kind of when it's not sunny and it's not beautiful, and you can't live outside, you can't sleep on the beach if you're homeless. My new book, Undercurrent, um, covers a lot of that. And we what we did with that undercurrent is called. A Cornish memoir of poverty, nature, and resilience, which is my childhood and growing up to about the age of about 20. And every chapter we deal with, I talk about myself and my upbringing and growing up in the village on the south coast of Cornwall. And then we will touch on something that's say like transport or something like that. So every, every um, chapter deals with something that only affects us rural and especially rural poor. So yeah, infrastructure, travel, food, you know the jobs because I mean of course the jobs in Cornwall are very low paid and they're seasonal and it's it's that sort of thing tied housing um so yeah I had a lot of I wouldn't say a lot of fun with it but with researching you know it was the, the detail that we went into was was just was was incredible because we have such problems here and people don't realise because people think Cornwall is rich and, and sunny and happy and lovely. And of course it's not because we've, you know, we don't just exist in summer. And also we we have such such problems with our infrastructure and, and um, 
with poverty and lack of resources, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's I talk about like being gay as well when young people in rural areas don't have access to somebody to talk to, you know, that's it. You just don't. And if you want to get a train to go into the nearest town or city, that costs. So then you might have to ask for that money. And then where, where are you going on the train? Why are you using that money? Because you want to go to a youth group to talk about, you know. So, yeah, it's, all, it's that kind of thing as well. You know, access to sports. It's, it's people just do not realise how being deeply rural, what effect it has on people and young people. Um, so, yeah, I'm really interested in exploring that as well. Um, just to pick up on that rural thing. Now, so rural is defined as like having sort of smaller populations. So in like I've always considered Cornwall as a rural place, like across despite the towns. Um, because it feels like there's a rural like you might live in a village or you might live in a town or you might live in a hamlet. Um, but the connectivity is one of the things that feels like it defines it still as being rural. And um, someone else I was speaking with as part of this project was saying, well, actually, Cornwall has these urban centres of, like, Red Druth being more urban or Sonostal, Truro, Falmouth, say, like, the towns. I wondered what your... This is a sort of... A, a subclause on the conversation <laughs> if you two could say what you might think about that well for me growing up I was my my school was 10 miles away so going to school which was Tor Point um was a 20 mile round trip every day and when I wanted to do sports and things like that because we didn't have a car we didn't have transport I had to get the school bus home I couldn't do sport I couldn't do anything after school we were deeply rural because of that. We were, you know, we had no public... We had one bus, which was on the weekend on a Saturday. You couldn't go and meet your friends. That's, that's what that is, you know. So for me growing up, yeah, 20-mile round trip just to go to school. And if you missed that bus, that was it because that, you know, I couldn't... So I had to get that bus. I had to get home. I couldn't stand around chatting to friends. You had to get the bus and get home. And then in our village... We didn't have much, you know, we had a shop and a pub, so that was it. Um, uh, we had a young farmers club in my village as well. <laughs> um, and um, uh, I understand that that was, that was really good fun for some people, but um, it wasn't something that um, I was able to, do, to, to be a part of. So, um, yeah, very much, very much um, that resonates with me as well. Um, we were we were about four miles from from town, but um, yeah, the the um, the weekly bus was a supermarket one, <laughs> and I remember being really surprised when when I came to live in St Dennis, um, because um, you know here there, there was a half hour bus service to St Austell or Newquay, and it was like oh my god, it's a village that actually is connected. That is uncommon. Really uncommon, really uncommon. But but it, you know it has such an enormous impact on the way that you experience the world as well, doesn't it? And about whether you know how much you're actually able to take advantage of all of the different kinds of opportunities that there are available for you because you just physically can't get there. Um, you know, and 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 you do figure out other ways of doing stuff. But the things, the kind of like cultural things that are privileged tend to be the more urban ones and the more the kinds of things that are happening in the towns anyway. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so it just becomes a bit more challenging. I also, there was a couple of things that we touched on there um, around class and tourism that I'd really like to pick up on. But one of the things around tourism and around um, sort of protection a, a point of protection, I suppose, of culture is um, now in one of the other podcasts, I have a conversation um, with someone around different kinds of tourism and they're kind of like um, tourism where it's looked down on and tourism that is considered acceptable and like good tourism. And these are totally like class um connected so that a package holiday 
in might be considered as bad tourism um, that is not interested in culture and goes on mass. And then there's this more privileged, like exploratory tourism, which is a very middle class sort of behaviour, going and discovering something new. Um, so we thinking about that more sort of felt like, right, that sort of actually that middle class sort of tourism is perhaps quite colonial and carries on that thread of discovery and therefore ownership. And um, that perhaps the sort of package tour tourism provides some protection for the local communities because it's boundaried to an extent. And just thinking about what you were saying there, Natasha, around sort of creating a protection against perhaps um, those who are coming and visiting Cornwall to take something away from a touristic experience. Is, is there a benefit there then to the tourism that provides a clear boundary between this is the real culture and this is the culture for sale? Um, I suppose you're talking about stereotypes then, aren't you? Because you're talking about middle class people who, you know, and I don't, I don't think that's true anyway. I know a lot of campsites by us um, near, near where I grew up, in the Loo area, Pulpero area, um, which are those people on the holidays en masse. It doesn't mean that they're not indulging in culture and going on hikes and visiting... Um, I don't know, Eden Project or whatever, theatre. Um, and I think a lot of those middle-class people, in inverted commas, don't do any of those things, perhaps, because they literally just go on their boat or their yacht or their friends or they go to the friends' restaurants and they don't do anything else. So I think, um, for me, tourism has its place, obviously. Um I think we could do more to make sure it's it doesn't kind of, you know, overrun certain towns, I suppose. Like I know there's a recent article about people who worked in St. Aust no, St. Ives, how they felt that it was like a theme park and that they were going to work in a theme park because they were, you know, catering to those people's needs and then going back again to wherever they lived um, outside of those big fancy towns. So I think tourism has always been here. It always will be here. We complain about them, but obviously we do need tourism. It's not our number one. I th you know, farming and fishing, I think, is still our, our number one um, trade, as it were. And I don't, have, I don't have a problem with tourism, but I do think I do have problem with second homes and I do have a problem with um that kind of thing that happened during COVID where people you know the long lets I think that's that's where the the shit has hit the fan really tourism will always be here and I think it's fine I just we need to make sure we manage it and, and especially from an eco perspective we need to make sure that people are not buying the plastic crap but it's those shops those local shops that are selling the look the plastic crap that they then leave on the beach, do you know what I mean? The you know the pretend body boards and everything else. We 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 need to stop selling that stuff if we're going to complain about the tourists buying it and then leaving it on the beach when they go home. So it's that sort of thing, you know. And and the coastal paths and the state of the coastal paths. I've never known people to run. I walk the coastal path all the time. I've never known people to jog on the coastal path except since COVID. COVID, you know. So that's that's another kind of long term tourism that's happened in Cornwall where these people are just coming down and doing what the hell they like that kind of tourism I don't like but you know there's room for everyone we just people need to be more aware of what what they're doing you know in my book I have a whole chapter on the cost of living during summer months and our local village shop and how those those shops would just sell a boring loaf of bread and then all of a sudden it would be packaged up in summer to be kind of some kind of artisan special Cornish bakery loaf for 10 times the price, 10 times the price. And locals then have to buy that bread. Like in our village, my mum, we couldn't, we didn't have a car, she's single parent. We had to buy the bread that was upped during the summer months, you know, and that still goes on. So we, we, have, enough, we have to do better in our communities as well. 
to not go, oh, here come the tourists, idiots. Here's a loaf of bread for a fiver, you know, and, and bugger everybody else and push everybody out of their housing during the summer months and Airbnb, you know, all that has, has needs to be blamed, but we need to blame ourselves for a lot of the mess that has gone on in the last two, three years in Cornwall. Yeah, it's it's a really complicated one, and I could go into a slight rant. So if I do, if if you if um if you want me to finish, um please just do some <laughs> kind of gesture. Um, I've got a couple of stories that I'd like to share actually. Um, the first one is a is when I was doing my my last um, major research project, and um, I was asking people about their experiences of living in Cornwall, and um and there are it's a wide variety of people, and there's this one woman um who um, uh, had actually grown up in a rural area in the US, but is now living in Cornwall. And, uh, and she was really thought-provoking, actually, because she was saying about how extraordinary she finds it, um, living in a rural area, that people not only want to come and visit, actually want to come and visit, but also, um, but, but also that they go away and, and buy souvenirs from this place. <laughs> And it just, it got me thinking about how special it is that other people know about us, not just people in Britain, but also people in other parts of the world know about us. So potentially our visitors could be amazing brand ambassadors kind of thing. You know, they, they could have some amazing stuff to take away, but it feels that what we're doing with our tourism offer is we're saying, it's precisely this, um, discover your own Cornwall when we've got our own Cornwall. Um, we'd quite like to, we'd like to tell people what our own Cornwall is and, you know, and share that with them, with them rather than, you know, discover your own thing. Um, and the other story that I've got is about um, a couple of years ago, I was swimming out of, swimming out of Port Quinn, which is a beach that I grew up going to, um, but I was doing a lot, I, I do a lot of open water swimming. Um, and um, we went out of the bay and it was a really clear day and we swam to where there's some caves and, um, and it was amazing. And we swam over a wreck and uh, we swam a little bit further and there was still a wreck and then a little bit further still and there was still a wreck. It was an enormous wreck. And I came back and got straight onto your search engine of your choice. Um, just to try to find out what was going on or, or what the wreck was. It turns out that it was a ship that sank. It was a, it sank in the seventies and it gave the Padstow lifeboat an absolutely horrendous time because it was really quite, um, it was quite a dramatic, a, 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 a dramatic sinking, but everybody got off. So it was lovely. Anyways, um, uh, but my, my sort of search, it was searching online for it. Everything that was coming up to start out with was um, was discover discover Port Quinn. You can go, you know, you can go uh, sailing and kayaking and coastal walking and eating in posh restaurants, and you can discover all of these amazing things. But what you couldn't discover was local history at all. And I've had that same experience in a, a couple of other parts of Cornwall as well, where you just look at something and go, "Oh my God, what is that? I want to know more." But you can't because um, because or you you know it takes quite a, quite a while. It's hard because um, everywhere that's talking about this particular place is talking about what an amazing visitor experience you can have if you're quite wealthy. Um, and I think that um, we need to find a way of bit of in, of um, developing our tourism offer that says this is us. These are our stories. Come and find out our stories. Come and learn about us and learn about our culture. And, you know, that actually could be really quite attractive to people. Um, and it would be really quite interesting if, if we could do that. But where we're at at the moment, and I think you touched on this quite a bit, Natasha, as well, is that, you know, if you go to Disneyland, you I've never been to Disneyland, but I'm just imagining. If you go to Disneyland, you know that it's a performance you know that Mickey Mouse will go home at the end of the day, take off, 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 his, off his hat, and there'll be an ordinary person underneath. Um, and you certainly don't go, do you know what? I'm going to move to Paris because I'm going to live in Disneyland. You can do that. 
But um, what our visitors don't actually understand is that the Cornwall that they experience is a performance. And we're really, really good at that performance to the extent that people actually think it's authentic. And they actually think that the Cornwall that they get on their week, two weeks, however long, is the real Cornwall. Um, but and you know, and then you've got all of the extra thing about you know second homes, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, and not understanding what it's like here in the winter, or about how appalling the labour market, you know, how what low incomes are and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so I think that we need to fundamentally rework, reimagine what it is that we do, um, and also one of the things that also happens is because people see only through the lens of tourism it also means that the other industries we've got people just don't don't, don't notice don't, don't even know that that exist that exist um one of the little, little stats that i came across the other day that i absolutely love is that one of our largest employers one of our absolutely largest employers is not in the visitor industry is actually a clothing company and believe it or not we've got some fabulous clothing companies that do amazing clothes that they sell not just in other parts of the UK but globally as well I mean how fabulous is that um yeah absolutely um I know sea salt is um yeah they're funding actually my event at North Cornwall Festival Book Festival end of this month and I love that because for me as an artistic director of, of other festivals you know, you want people on board, you want brands on board. And I think, yeah, that was really good that they, they obviously, they're, they're funding a couple of events in North Cornwall, which is, which is absolutely brilliant. But as you were saying about what people look at Cornwall, they just want it how they think it's going to be. So they completely ignore everything else. I don't know how many people visit who don't know what actually an engine house is. Like they think, oh, that's pretty because pole dark, that's what that is. And they, they don't even think about our mining history. And our history is, is so incredible. It's so brilliant. I wrote something on um, where I live on the, the Ramehead Peninsula. I don't know if you know it, Kingsand Corsan, but it's a, it's, it's a beautiful piece of our coastline up here. Um, and I was commissioned to write it for the BBC. And I had to do lots of research in order to, as you were saying about research, to just get a real sense of the history as well as the, you know, the geology and the geography, which I know about, but the history side and with Devonport Dockyard as well and all the ships and you know if you walk that piece of land there's so much that you find that's to do with naval history and that sort of thing people wouldn't have a clue you know you see the plinths where the cannons were during the first world war that's what's that's what I find is interesting to our you know our Cornish history there's so much but people don't really want the history they don't want to go to little villages and enjoy a local celebration unless it, they're going to Padstow and it's on the Obios and you know the things they know you know the flora dance you know flora day there's they don't want to experiment in other places and see what other villages because it's going to be more um more authentic if you go to other towns villages around Cornwall that aren't the ones that you know are going to put on an event because those events have kind of I think have been taken over by the English a little bit anyway they're like no this is how this should be where it's not part of their culture and it's kind of plastic it's they just as well put Mickey Mouse hats on uh, you know and, and yeah dance around and sing silly songs while they do but yeah it's filtering it's they're filtering our culture I think I, I, was, I was just thinking it'd be, it would be so much more authentic, wouldn't it, if they if if they just had a big sign that said, "By the way, this community is a destination. It is not a community." Yeah. As long as you know that, all good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just it, touching upon that, like I will say, they think about confidence and like the responsibility of. Like you were saying, Natasha, the people in Cornwall who sell these things, but also of like our like Cornwall Council and uh, other organisations based in Cornwall that manage part of that sort of brand Cornwall image. I mean, you know, I don't feel like I've ever been consulted on brand Cornwall and I'm Cornish and I feel like brand Cornwall impacts on me as a person and my identity and how other people in the world understand who I am 
and I then have to justify myself against Bran Cornwall. So um, I, I, I wonder about that. Uh, it seems as though perhaps marketing Cornwall as a destination seems like um, an easy route perhaps to follow and the confidence to promote Cornwall for, um, I don't know, I always have trouble with the word authentic, but like with something perhaps that might be considered more authentic or perhaps like the spine, all the stuff that's going on in the spine of Cornwall. There doesn't seem to be much confidence in promoting that. So, like, whoever manages tourism and brand Cornwall doesn't promote Red Ruth. It's just, I, I think it's just laziness, you know. It's, it's always hard when you have to reinvent, not reinvent, but you have to do a bit of research and come up with new stuff because it's there and, it's, and the whole of Cornwall is beautiful. And yet, yeah, it's just la it's laziness. I went to Foy a couple of days ago and there's new signs that sold Foy that says Daphne du Maurier country. And for me, being a southeast Cornish, Cornish maid, I was just like, you know, I love Daphne du Maurier, but there's, that's not Daphne du Maurier country. That's just lazy again. People who go to Foy and that area know Daphne du Maurier lived in Bordinic and she wrote about many places there. You don't have to put these bloody signs up that taxpayers are paying for. You know, the council have bothered to say that. And you get these busloads of people from all over Europe. They come for that. They don't need to see a sign. So that's wasted money. As you say, they could have used that and worked on something in, say, Austell or Redruth or, you know, Callington, which is near me. Nobody knows where Callington is, you know. And there's history there. There's history everywhere. I think it's this thing about... Um, I'd be really interested to know how much the people who devise the kind of, like, official brand, um, how much they actually understand what ordinary people's lives are like. I kind of feel that there's a disjuncture between um, people who are kind of making a lot of these strategic decisions and the lives that most 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 of us ordinary people are actually living. Um, and I feel that there needs to be, and this also touches on some, oh, we've got a hell of a thunderstorm out here, so I don't know. Um, this also touches on something that you were saying earlier, Natasha, about how um, uh, we need to um, think about what we're moving forward to in the future. And we need to, you know, it's not just about sort of like the past, it's also about what we are and where, where we're going. And um, I kind of feel that there needs to be much more of a public conversation within Cornwall that says, outside of all that lifestyle stuff, because that's fantasy, well, some people's reality, but mostly it's, it's fantasy. Um, outside of all that, what are we? Um, um, where can, and from where we are, where can we go to? And what are the steps to be able to do that? And I don't, you know, and then we might actually get something that's a little bit more real or a way of, yeah, all of us being able to move forward together rather than it being like, oh my God, here's another bunch of people who's talking about us that doesn't bear any relation to what I, how I experience my life. Yeah, and, and, and another TV show, you know, it's just on <laughs> properties in Cornwall and come and live the Cornish dream. And everyone's just, you know, on social media, just like, what is this? And yet, you know, it's been and gone. You know, no, people will be watching. None of us were asked about it or to put any kind of, you know, a two pennies worth in. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's an, up, up, it's an uphill battle, isn't it? You know, it really is. So an, another thread that has come up through um, my conversations is around um, the kind of ancestors we will be and being ancestors for the future. So thinking about how um, Cornish identity continues. Um, I, I often feel that tourism and some of this lifestyle commodification of Cornish culture does dislocate us and perhaps future generations from, um, from Cornish culture because it's so 
it's so um, omnipresent. <laughs> it's just, um, it's always around us. And how, how do we unpick on a daily basis, particularly when it's on TV so much, say, oh, that's, that's the sort of lifestyle tourism bit. And then this is actually Cornish culture. Um, how, how, what do you guys think about that? For what we then pass on, what do we set up for the future? I think, you know, we want a sense of pride, but we don't want people to be like young people. I think both those things need to be kind of mixed. You know, we need to mix things up a bit. Because otherwise, people, young people, just think of culture and history and as just old old people stuff, old stuff. So we want them to kind of get involved in rewriting it a little bit and what their contributions are. We want to celebrate that. Um, yeah, I think I, I, for me, I hope my books go on, and you know, I hope people will read my books and kind of think about how far because some of them are a little bit you know especially the young adult ones are kind of I call it dystopia because it's like dystopia but it's just happened or just about to happen it's kind of in that kind of you know if you don't watch it it's, this is kind of thing going to happen um because yeah we'll be the first if there was any as 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 the weather changes and that sort of thing like in all rivers run free Janie as you were talking about earlier you know if we did have more mass flooding and stuff we would be the last to, for anyone to really give a shit about because we are often cut off by weather and that sort of thing. So I think we need to celebrate what young people are doing now um, and have them say they're Cornish when they're doing what they're doing, whether they're in music or the arts, is to have some sense of pride that they're not just a young person or they're not just, you know, in this moment in time, this moment in history, but their identity is a part of Cornwall and history and culture and everything else. Because um, it's so easy for people to just think, oh, this culture business and, you know, it's all just kind of old stuff. It's your parents or your grandparents or whatever. Because um, a lot of Cornish might not be might not have grown up with that as well, that pride, because of that way that that all that English, we're English and, you know, a lot of Cornish just come up with that. <laughs> wrongly and then their kids so just try to pull those kids back and think well okay your parents might identify as English now but look at your family history look back in time you're Cornish be pride be proud own it you know and move forward and it's that Celtic identity as well and we are a minority you know and we are not be afraid to say that I think it's really interesting. What it's, it feels like the Cornish language movement is on a, a cusp of something right now, where it's being used in a, in a number of kind of like really quite cool ways. And I'm I'm thinking in particular about Gweno or um, Gweno's album. Um, but oh, I can't remember what the award is that she's nominated for. But I know it's the Mercury. Was it the Mercury Award? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And. Um, yeah, and, and those things that are like really exciting, it's like, actually, hang on a minute, it's it's as if there's a potential for um, that kind of, you know, old Cornish culture actually become really quite cool. Yeah. But, um, but th this isn't just a Cornish thing, actually. This is a, is a rural, certainly a rural thing in Britain. Um, it would be really, you know, um, I would love to see um, some kind of, I don't know, some kind of media about what it's like to be a young person in a rural area. Um, you know, some some kind of storytelling or music or performance that really engages with what um, uh, rural um, rural youth experiences in Britain in general and in Cornwall in particular, because I think that that's, that's massively missed out. And so, it, you know, so a lot of the lifestyle stuff, that's actually... Um, uh, it's not young, is it? It's it's not the like something that your teens aspire to. It's something that you decide that you're going to be a part of when you're like in your thirties and have played a little bit and uh, and now want to settle down and live live the dream and things. Um, yeah, so I, I, I don't know. 
why is it that when we think about when we think about youth and youth culture, we just think about urban stuff? That feels like a really important space that we really need to engage with if we're going to create yeah. an authentic, lived Cornish culture moving forward. Yeah, I, I, that, when I was writing Undercurrent, that's that's what I was thinking about a lot. A lot of the time is because that book was my growing up. So that was me growing up in the eighties, you know and into my teens, so it's from a very early age. And the whole time I was writing, I was thinking, okay, so what is it now, you know? And I, I did do a lot of research with like the um, Joseph Roundtree and Trestle, Trestle Trust and kind of organizations like that to just, but I, I really want to be able to talk to young people. So when that book comes out next year, I really want to go into as many rural communities. I want to go to festivals, obviously the usual tour, um, but also rural bookshops as much as possible, independent bookshops, and with that, get involved with local libraries in rural locations across the country so that we can get young people involved in order to hear their stories, you know, in order to talk to them and then for them to get them thinking about their lives and maybe come, with, come out with some kind of, um, you know, an outcome that we can all look at and say, OK, this is, these are people we can work with going forward in the next couple of years, you know, because that is, that's really important. We don't ask those questions enough. And it's always, you've got to go, because they have to go to cities often. Like if you're into music, you know, you want to be a sound recordist or whatever, you have to move away. So it's, it's, it's trying to find that balance, isn't it? To get them to kind of, to, to work on what they want to work on and, and, and do as much as they can creatively, with creative or whatever, but also to not just go and come back, you know, stay here, work here, then work with younger people again, keep it, keep it moving forward. But also to think about the spaces where you can actually do those things. And I know, you know, I think one of the, one of the challenges that we have is because we're really quite spread out, you know, we're quite long and thin and all of that kind of stuff. So, it, um, but I know that there's, you know, um, I keep on hearing about how there's some like really interesting, cool and funky stuff happening, usually further down west. It feels like there needs to be more stuff in the... Up this end, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> totally. And also um, around the sort of like uh, Weybridge, Camelford, Beesway as well. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, so west of St. Austell, that I think... East of St. Austell, there needs to be a lot Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also people who have the facilities say right come in and utilize you know why can't the bbc get young people to go into their studios and find out more about recording stuff this is just obviously an example but you know even art when we've got such art history in cornwall and yet you've got to go to them and for me as as always as a writer and as a festival director is you've got to go to communities you've got to go to the people because often people especially rural communities you know, they, they, they don't feel like they can go into the town and go into a place and, and take over a space. And it's the same with like theatre or whatever. You know, we need people to keep doing that outreach in order to in order to get people to, to celebrate and utilise their skills, you know, as creatives or, or whatever it might be. Um, I think people can do more. I think businesses can do more, definitely. Um, Maybe there's... Maybe there's something in this as well, it seems to me, around um, those of us who are maybe a bit older in the prime of our lives, um, <laughs> who are being creatives and um, having a certain moment of privilege and position um, that allows us to model certain forms of behaviour so we can model the art from Cornwall doesn't need to be a certain way it doesn't need to be about roses around a cottage door or it doesn't need to be about landscape you know perhaps a painting for instance things can be um, broad broader than that and um, we also have the strength of voice to challenge perhaps and to kind of ask those questions or demand those provisions of, like you say, businesses and um, institutions, museums, colleges. 
I think um, one of the projects that I've been involved with um, quite recently, actually, is, um, uh, and again, this is a, a regularity that you hear across rural areas, but it's particularly um, particularly um, present in Cornwall, um, is, is the way that, uh, because we don't understand what, what kinds of things there are in our economy um, uh, beyond tourism, or it becomes very difficult for people to actually understand you know, what there is outside of tourism. That means that our young people coming through schools um, don't think that they can have a career doing anything really cool and interesting in Cornwall because they just don't know that those opportunities are out there. We're not very good at actually sharing what we're actually doing yet. Um, and part of it is because careers education more generally across Britain tends to be um, focused on, I don't know, so you want to be, you want to be a sound engineer, be a sound engineer anywhere, let, you know, not kind of like, okay, so these are the, um, uh, these are the kinds of skills that are needed in your local economy. Um, uh, and here's how you get those jobs and what you would want to train in and what you want to focus on and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so we get so uh, because well so we're not sharing with young people what the um, opportunities are here, whether it's for work or leisure sometimes as well, um, and then making those opportunities accessible to young people, then people are feeling like yeah well Cornwall's not for people like me, um, I'm going to have to leave it. So so um, somebody somebody I was chatting to the other day talks about it in terms of how throughout the experience of growing up children um, learn to leave um, or, or learn that you have to leave rather than that there are these things that you know you can stay and and do things in um, and I find it really fascinating having conversations with um, having conversations with people it's I think when you start getting a little bit older, isn't it? And you're like well into your 40s and you start chatting to people and it's like, so what are you kids doing then? And these little tackers that were once really tiny and now they're, um, now they're like maybe grown up. But you have these conversations where people go, oh yeah, they want to work in, in the media, in media, they're doing filming, no opportunities like that in Cornwall. So, you know, so they've had to go. And, uh, and I'm like, hang on a minute. I don't have a huge pool of creative friends. I do know a bunch of people who have moved to Cornwall specifically yeah. to do filming. It's like trying to, these are mismatches that need to be, that need to be um, brought together. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where, um, yeah, there's some, there's, so there's a lot of space there for for representing the narrative of what it is to be from Cornwall or living in Cornwall or setting out upon one's life in Cornwall. And um, I, well, each of us, like in our own activities, it feels like is sort of making an effort to sort of chime, <laughs> be part of the chime that, that, that shifts those expectations there's been some brilliant projects in places like um i based in red reef with my studio but um people like liam jolly he's from red reef sort of setting stuff up and doing music stuff and art stuff and alice mahoney as well he's grown up in cornwall and um setting up projects um so i know that there are these pockets and maybe yeah we can um, all do our work in kind of knotting them together. Thank you both so much for all of that conversation and all that thinking. I really liked the way how, as well, whilst we were speaking, Natasha, you'd started off with that connection around Cornwall being like in your bones and your blood, which I 100% sort of um, connect with. And then throughout our conversation a big storm has traveled through Cornwall it's not here yet is it not got it's not to here you yet? yet it's getting darker it's getting darker yeah. it's getting darker yeah you're next Natasha. you're gonna to have to rename this podcast now aren't you the storm yeah. that's the storm that's coming and we're sending it up into England so 
That's it. That sounds like a name for a, one of your forthcoming books, Natasha. <laughs> Started a new one today because I can't, I can't, now my, now Undercurrent is with everyone, like the PDF is going out for quotes and stuff. Um, so yeah, I can't, can't bear waiting to hear what people think. So I'm like, I have to start a new book. So I've started fiction again, which I haven't oh, written great. fiction for the last couple of years. So yeah. Exciting. Yeah. Um, uh, do we do, do we get a kind of like a, a um, uh, what what um, what's this book going to be? Do you know? It's yeah, it's fiction. It's set on the coast. It's set on the south coast. What can I say? It's not dystopia. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 set after the tourists go home. I'll give you that. So yeah. Well, I feel like it's really exciting to be um, chatting with you on the very auspicious and energetic day that you've started a new book. <laughs> Monday, start a term, see? It's kind of oh, guilt yeah. as well because my partner's gone to school, so I'm like, <laughs> you have to like, wait, okay, I'm back back in my uh, waiting cabin out the, out the back. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well... Thank you both very much. It's been brilliant. Good fun. Thanks, thanks so much for agreeing to this, Natasha. No worries. You've invited us so My pleasure. My and keep pleasure. in touch, both of you, because we can come up with some great ideas for sure. Yeah, so any ideas, mad ideas, or you want to just get together for a coffee, just let me know. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. Keep the conversation going. Exactly. Fabulous. Mraz Agas Gosloas, thank you for listening. Further episodes of the Mescla Bruyon Druis podcast can be found on my website, saveaberryman.co.uk. That's S O V A Y B E R R I M A N. .co.uk, where you'll also find guest biographies and a resource page of links to further reading on the topics discussed. If you feel inspired to join the Mesca conversation about contemporary Cornish cultural identity, please get in touch with me, Sove Berryman, via my website or social media. You'll find Mescla Bruyon Druis on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. The Mescla Bruyon Druis podcast and project has been made possible due to a wealth of in-kind help and support from many parties, including the Wenda Perrin Festival, Gorseth Kernow, Cornwall Council's Cornish Language Office, Coethys and Yeath Canuick, Crescent Kernow, Cornwall Neighbourhoods for Change and Falmouth University Falmouth Campus. The project has been supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England and further funding has been gratefully received from Historic England by Redreath Unlimited. Agas Terman, Agas Gwellas. Thank you for your time. See you later.